Um, I think a lot of those roadblocks started, you know, with that scenario I talked about with my mentor in high school and the failure there and learning that, that another person's failure uh, can only be a, a, a derailment for me if I have unforgiveness in my heart towards that person mm. and realizing that my, my unforgiveness towards him was holding me back. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm so excited to bring you today's featured conversation with Daryl Hawk. Daryl specializes in helping people overcome roadblocks and derailments, and he shares his story from realtor uh, to ministry and to everything in between on how you live in that work-life balance. So I know you're going to love this conversation. I'd love to hear what you found meaningful in this conversation, so you can... uh, Look me up at twmilton.com on Instagram or the Reclamation Podcast on Facebook with Tony Miltonberger. We'd love to hear some feedback from you. And without any further ado, here's my conversation with Daryl Hulk. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm excited to bring you today's uh, featured guest, Daryl Hulk. Daryl, how the heck are you, man? I'm good, Tony. How are you? Good. Now, um, you are coming to us from Dallas, Fort Worth, and you're a Dallas fan. Um, that's correct, right? That is very correct. So, how do you feel? Let's get to the important stuff first. How are you feeling about the new head coach of your beloved Dallas Cowboys? It's funny that a lot of my friends, when I told them that I wanted McCarthy, they scoffed at me pretty heavily. Um, I think. A lot of people around here wanted a college coach that had a winning record or whatever, but I just felt like McCarthy was the guy. I felt like he had the right, uh, I don't know, the right mentality, the right uh, right amount of anger that some of these guys needed to light a fire under him, and the coaches that he's bringing in right now are exciting me as well around him, and so I think he's the right guy, and I have since, since they officially fired Garrett which was uh, even before that, I thought McCarthy was the guy we should bring in. So I'm, I'm just pumped, dude. That, that's awesome. And um, I do think that given the nature of the owner of the Cowboys, Jerry Jones, that you need to find somebody who's got a little bit, uh, some chops. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and I think that's where Jimmy Johnson was good, is that he had chops and he could tell Jerry to go back to his office or whatever. And I feel like McCarthy's going to have that same ability to say, hey, go. Get out of here. This is my show. Let me, let me run it. it I, so it's an interesting transition here, but um, one of the things that I, I've seen in the work that you've produced is that you are super passionate about mentoring people. Exactly. Um, and and I, you know, I know that good coaching uh, is super important in life, and then it's also important as we raise up the next level of coaches. How has your life been impacted by mentors and then how is that playing out in the world that you live in today? That's, I mean, that's huge for me, man. I mean, thank you. If you were to tell me or ask me what is the main goal of my ministry, it's to mentor. Or the main goal of my life is to mentor. And I think some of that goes back to when I was, uh, when I was young. Um, I wanted to be a youth pastor from the time I was 16 years old. Yeah. So even at that point, I was under a youth pastor who was mentoring me and walking me through things. And there was a more moral failure that happened. And that really sent me for a loop in my life where I had been learning under this guy that I so respected and he let me down. And mm-hmm. I think we've all maybe been in that situation where someone we look up, look up to let us down. 
that kind of sends us in a little bit of a spiral. And so that's what motivated me is I wanted to be someone that people could look to and count on um, to be a guide for them in their life. And, um, and, and then the next mentor I had after that basically looked me in the eye and said, find something else to do with your life. You're not called to this. You're not called, <laughs> you're not called to be, to be a youth pastor. Yeah. You're not called to be a youth pastor. You need to find Man. something else to do with your life. And How to so, win friends and influence people, right? Jeez. Exactly. He loved me. I mean, I was his favorite. Uh, we had four interns and basically that summer I got to make burritos, uh, every Wednesday for the kids and I got to teach once. And so, um, in the mentor department, I was a little bit lacking there early well, on. So, so that's an interesting question is, uh, you're sitting, um, underneath the teaching of this, uh, this youth guy who's a, a mentor to you. And he tells you not to do what you feel like is God's calling you to, which was to be a youth pastor. How do you live in the tension of those two realities as a young man? Cause I, I think there's somebody out there right now who feels like the world's told them that, that it's not okay to be feeling the way they're feeling, but yet God's nudging them in a different direction. I think, I think because God was so clear with me uh, in various different ways, whether it was be, whether it was restoring me after I had strayed and letting me know that he still had that calling on my life or whether it was just that in that moment, um, I didn't want to hear what he was trying to tell me that I, I just kept pursuing it. And so I decided what I was going to do is to go to a different church in town and to see if somebody there would be willing to mentor me. So did you abandon them? Did you abandon the mentor who wasn't, uh, or, you know, who wasn't walking with you on the path? Eventually. Yeah. yeah. I stayed, I stayed there for long enough, I think to learn the things that I needed to learn. And I informed my mom on my 21st birthday that I was going to be leaving our church and I was going to go to this other church uh, looking for mentorship. And um, she was actually very upset with me because this is the church I had went to when I was in high school. This is their church. Um, the church that I was going to was not a place she was a fan of. But the problem came when I sat down with that youth pastor and the previous youth pastor had already told him that I wasn't worth his time. Oh, no, man. There's no church like church hurt. Yeah. There's and no hurt like, like church hurt. Oh, it, it hurt, man. It really did. I mean, some of these, some of the leaders at that church had been with me all through high school, walked with me through, you know, the moral failure of my previous mentor and all that. And so they had been there. And so for them not to believe in me either, or even to take up for me, it hurt. But as that youth pastor from the new church sat across the table, he said, Hey, I just want to see you be faithful. Come. I'm not going to listen to what anyone else has to say about you. Just come come be involved. And as I need you, I will call you into leadership. And for the, and it turned out for the next two to three years, this man poured his life into me. Uh, he taught me how to be a husband. He taught me how to be a youth pastor. He taught me how to be a man, how to be a leader. Uh, so that, that's an interesting question, right? What, what does it mean to be faithful? Cause I, I know a lot of people wrestle like uh, e even as a pastor, sometimes I preach, you just got to be obedient, but but I think most people don't even know what that means. How would you define what it looked like for you to be faithful? I think for what he wanted is for me to be consistent. Okay. Me, number one, for me to be there. And, and when I was called on to be, to be available and when mm -hmm. I was needed to step up. And uh, I think those were all the things that he was looking for is that when, when the call came that I was ready. 
and um and i and i went and i just engaged and it was kind of cool because about about three or four months ago i got a chance to speak at that church again wow sitting in that same room that used to be the sanctuary which is now the youth room and i'm looking in that back corner and say you know what on my birthday i sat there and that sitting in that pew right there changed my life and the pew's not there anymore but that corner is still there and so it was kind of this like very emotional moment for me to say you know here i am getting a chance to speak to students some of their parents were in that youth group that i got to i got to mentor you know so, so, uh, some of my youth pastor who poured into me his kids are sitting in that youth room and i got really emotional after i taught because i was like man this is the place where one of the previous two mentors couldn't this guy took everything he could and just loved on me and that was the biggest thing is i needed i needed a guy in my life who would love me and accept me the way i was and call out the best of me and that's what his name's tim ramsey i want to give him a shout out because he is an incredible guy he's in his 50s right now still in youth ministry killing it well, and uh, let's just be honest to be in your 50s and still in youth ministry is no small task and like the kids love him still i mean he's he's not on a cane yet like he's like <laughs> incredible and i do too man like i love the man for what he did for me and i want to be that for other people well let's dive into that for just a second daryl because uh, you now you work in um, you do multiple jobs, right? So you, you're in the the real estate business and you mentor new agents and you're also speaking, writing. You've got a couple of books in your um, opinion, in your experience. What what does it take to be a good mentor? And what should you expect from your mentor uh, if you're being um, if you're the mentee? Well, I mean, I think for, first you got to be there for that person, you know, that you have to be present. There has to be consistency on your part to be present in their life. Um, the, all the guys that I'm into right now, I try at least to go to lunch with them once every two weeks, if not mm-hmm. once every week. You know, there's only so many days in the week though. So they all understand like, Hey, if I can't get in this week, I'm going to get in next week. And so number one, I think it's being present. Number two, I think it's calling out the gifts that you see in them. Because I think a lot of people have trouble embracing the gifts that God has given them. And if you can call those out in them, then I think they're able to see those more clearly. And then thirdly is sometimes giving them the hard word, not to discourage them, but saying, hey, you got you to tune up in this area or that yeah. area. If you've built a relationship of love, you can do that. But as in my case, in that second mentor, there was no relationship. And so to try to to try to tell me to go do something else when there was no relationship, uh, I couldn't receive that. Um, so you got to be in a position where you can say the hard thing to them, but you've done that because you built a, a love deposit account with that person by pouring into them and pulling the good out of them as well. It has to be, it has to be both and it can't be just negative. Um, and not everybody is called to vocational ministry, but we, I mean, I hope that they feel that or learn that as we go. I'm not just going to tell them right out, that's not you, because who am I to say that? God's the one that needs to confirm that. Right, right. And, and, and I, I love, one of the things I really appreciate about your story is that it feels like it intertwines between uh, vocational ministry, where you've been working in the church, and, uh, and what I would call a civilian job, right, outside the church. Um, how do you see mentoring being different um, as a Christian? So you're a Christian mentor. 
in a, in a secular real estate business. How is that different than what you do with youth in the church? I think the biggest thing is my main, my main goal at work has to be the success of their business. But mm. there's also that part of who I am, um, the loving, caring Christian man, the guy that's going to be there for guys, the guys, the guy that wants to see people know who Jesus is, that's going to bleed off. Um, you know, if Jesus is, you know, they always say, what's ever in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. And so if my heart is truly for the Lord, that's going to come out of my mouth at different times, not in a way where I beat them down because in church, you know, it's free reign to talk about Jesus in any way we want in my business. Although both of my bosses uh, are strong believers. Um, one of my brokers, his grandfather and his dad were past were, were both pastors. Oh, wow. My other broker, both of his sons are pastors. Oh man. <laughs> our, ours is a very different deal. I mean, we've watched uh, Stephen Furtick's sermons in our sales meetings. I mean, it is a little bit of a different environment where I'm open to talk about my faith very openly. Oh, sure. That's not what my position is there. But I've had those opportunities, people to talk through problems in their marriage, or there's been there's been guys in our office that haven't had father figures that some of us that are stronger in our faith have been able to surround and be those kind of figures for them. I see. I, I get a sense talking to a lot of Christian leaders that mentorship and disciple making is, uh, I'm going to use air quotes here, the new trend. Um, it, it's an old practice. Why do you think in today's world that we live in, um, this has been become such a, 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 a mainstream part of what the church is doing today? I think it's because it's also become what the mainstream of non, non-Christian but spiritual people are doing today. There's mm. a lot of self-help, a lot of, you know, guys out there who are speaking towards, you know, hey, your better life and those kind of things. And so it's kind of the message of today. There's a lot of people struggling with anxiety and depression and, and all these things that are, that are coming at people attacking who they are. And so there's, I feel like coming from every single direction, there's people who are trying to encourage those people out of that. And so I think the church has had to step up their game in a sense to that, because we have the real answer, right? We have the, we have the real hope that a lot of these people are looking for the real joy that, that they can know even in the midst of their struggles. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's part of who we are as Christians is that we got to step up to the plate too. Not that these other messages aren't good. I think, I mean, any truth is God's truth, right? Right. Form, but you know we have we have the message that can transform whole lives just from the reading of it like they could just pick up the bible and read it and their lives could be different forever i mean mm. that's power that that no one else has um and so i just feel like we've risen to the occasion because everybody is rising to the occasion but we just have the message that's the strongest does that make sense oh i it, it makes sense and it resonates because the, there's a eternal hope and the, the message that we get to provide and doing it through uh, mentorship's a, a great avenue. Uh, one of the things that I see on, on your website is uh, you really help people overcome uh, roadblocks and derailment. You know, that's, it seems like that's been a, a passion point for you. Where did that, where did that stem from? How does somebody, how does somebody get on this path to be a, a speaker and author? Um, I think a lot of those roadblocks started, you know, with that scenario I talked about with my mentor in high school and the failure there and learning that, that another person's failure 
uh, can only be a, a, a derailment for me if I have unforgiveness in my heart towards that person mm. and realizing that my, my unforgiveness towards him was holding me back. And so I think that was part of that journey is that derailment was unforgiveness. And then another derailment in my life. And as I mentioned on the podcast that I did with Will that you that we talked about before we got on here, um, was, was losing my passion of basketball. Um, and so that derailed me and it made me try to think who I am, what is my identity? I yeah, take us all- through that story. Cause I, I, li- I listened to that story and I was like, man, that's, that, uh, that was a tough one to swallow for me. And I was just listening. <laughs> well, the big thing is, um, as I went into ninth grade, they did tryouts and it was a two day tryout and they picked nine guys, uh, to be on the team on day one. And I was one of those nine. Wow. And, um, you were a f- first round draft pick, baby. Let's go. Draft pick, baby. Like at, at, it was, and it was a larger school, not not super large, but a five A school here in Texas, which is now the second largest size school um, in the state of Texas. So, wow. You know, good amount of good amount of students and people who knew me. They knew me as a basketball player. I had played all in middle school. I had grown up playing. Um, you know, I was the kid when we were in city league stuff that I was averaging twenty points a game. You know, that was just who I was. And so I wrapped up so much of my identity in that. So when I got picked in the top nine in high school, I'm like, yeah, that's who I am. Right. um, But it was a a slow decline from there because in ninth grade, I ended up on the B team. And I started on B team and had a good season. But that was kind of, of, I guess, a foreshadowing of what was to come because in my sophomore year, they put me in off-season basketball and I ended up getting injured playing street ball. Oh man. You're playing in the street and you're running one direction. Your my my foot got caught behind another guy's ankle and turned around complete three hundred or, or probably two hundred and eighty degrees and I ended up on the ground and uh, my whole foot was purple from ankle all the way down to toes. I had tore some tendons and such and tryouts was seven to eight. Let me ask you a quick question here, because I I've got two sons. Okay. Right, and both of them play basketball. Okay. If you had to go back and do it over again, or if you were, uh, if if one of your kids was out playing street ball, would you tell them not to play, or would you still let them play? Man, that, there's so many great memories of playing street ball. I don't know that I would tell them not to play, but if they're if they're really really good, like better than I was, maybe protect it. But I don't know. I, I just I just I, I wrestle with that tension, right? Like, man, I want my kids to be kids, but I also don't want them to do what happened. I, I don't want them to, ha- you know, I don't want them to get hurt and, and yeah. ruin what they're doing other places. I, I get the dad mentality of that. Ah, it's, it's such a dad problem, but okay. My keep going with the story. School. Keep going. Yeah, my daughter's a high school athlete too. So I totally get it. But uh, as, as a player, I want to say, Hey, part of the fun of the game is playing those street. Yeah. Those street ball. Um, so anyway, like when I, so you get hurt. Out, I was coming off that injury mm. and the coach, I think the coach maybe thought I was milking the injury a little bit, not wanting to, to go through off season. Totally wasn't the case, but that became his perception of me is that I was lazy and I was sitting out, even though I had a doctor's note. Um, uh. I think he thought I should have came back sooner. So when we tried out, he told me you're too slow and you can't jump anymore. Um, and so those words resonated in my head. And so I watched all the videos about Michael Jordan getting cut from his high school team and all of that. And, I was determined to come back day two and prove them wrong. Had a great day two. They they cut me. Wow. Uh, they asked they asked me to be the manager. They're like, hey, if a spot comes open, 
we'll put you on the team. You can be manager. You don't have to sweep the floor, mop the floor. Just keep keep stats. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. There, or I had to go back to PE. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. Right, hard pass on PE. Yeah, hard pass. <laughs> and uh, day two of being manager, he was like, hey, go mop the floor. And my pride wouldn't let me mop the floor. And oh, so man. I got sent to PE. Junior uh, <laughs> <laughs> year, tried out again. He hadn't forgotten that he had to send me to PE. Uh, got, got cut again. And mm. so it was just one of those identity things. So that was a roadblock for me. Um, had various other roadblocks, you know, hard church situations. But, you know, it's just like if you can run down the other side of those, knowing that, hey, I made it through that and I feel stronger and God's been with me through that. If he can get me through that, he can get me through the next. Uh, we lost a baby, you know, at 12 weeks in the womb still. and. Mm. You know, I've been through a robbery where I was at, held at gunpoint. I mean, there's been some crazy stories in my life. Dang, all dude. That, all that surrounds to the fact that God is still good and I'm still on the path. So, okay. So, that, so that's a good question, right? Because I, I think that a lot of us wrestle with this idea that in the midst of my tragedy, God can still be good. Yeah. What, what does somebody like you who, who's navigated it seemingly fa- fairly well what does someone like you do to stay connected to the identity? And, and how did you, how'd you find that identity? Cause I, I, so many of my listeners struggle with like, who am I? Yeah. I think, I think that's the whole uh, message of my book. No one really knows. Yeah. That struggle for identity, especially that happens from, you know, high school going into college. Who am I going to be? What am I going to be? Who am I going to live for? what really matters, you know, you're looking for job, you're looking for spouse, you're looking for identity. And I think in that search, I realized very quickly that every time that I would choose uh, my direction, I would end up flat on my face. Wow. Uh, my favorite verse, I always say it's my favorite and my least favorite Bible verse is Proverbs nineteen twenty one. It says many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And uh, I had the planning part down really well. <laughs> right. I did it my way and I flat faced, uh, did it my way, fell down, did it my way, fell down. And even sometimes in trying to do what God want, wanted me to do, I was still doing it my way mm. and doing it under my power. I mean, you know this, you've been to ministry. There's days where you leave that pulpit and you're like, I did that on my own and it wasn't very good. No, it's, it's always horrible. It's always horrible. And you know it, you know it in your heart. Like I did that and nobody's impressed. And, um, and you know, so, I mean, I felt like even in the context of doing what God wanted, sometimes it was his way. Um, and that's the only thing that I have actually tattooed on my body. And I don't have many other plans on my man's heart. Cause I know that. Well, I mm. have the Lord prevails because I need to remember that it's about his purposes. And so when I find my identity and his purposes, I find that things go the direction that I need to be going. And if that's me working in the church, that's me working in the church. And if it's not, it's me working somewhere else, then it's still about his purposes. Um, so my identity isn't found in what my title is, although that was hard to pull off that vocational pastor title. Um, yeah, because how long ago did you leave ministry? Uh, I left the vocational, vocational ministry. Sorry, in, yeah. Uh, May, May of 18. May of 18. Now, you, you wrote no one really knows you wrote that book back in 2014 right 2011 actually 2011 okay yeah. 2011 what I was still in youth ministry at the time 
so one of my experiences with writing like that is that as our as we mature uh we would change things yeah if, if you had to go back and add something to no one really knows in 2011 what would you add i think the that's a good question bro i like it thank um, you uh, I think the biggest thing is I wouldn't have rushed it out so quickly. Oh. You know, you get, excited, you get excited about, Hey, I'm going to write a book and you find someone that'll actually let you publish it. And you're like, yes. And you just go nuts and you put it out so quickly. And although I had been writing that story since I was in college, um, I feel like there's things that, that weren't probably drawn out as well as I would have wanted. Um, and then what I mean by that is like some descriptions of people, or, or descriptions of scenarios that I could have probably elongated. The book's only 130 pages, and that was on purpose because I wanted non-readers to read it. Yeah. But, but I also think that there's some of the scenarios that had I had elaborated a little more or painted the picture more than told them exactly who this person was, that it would have been better experience for the reader to, uh, to say, oh, man, I know exactly who that guy is. I have that guy in my life. And really, that's what I wanted is because, uh, as I've said a lot about No One Really Knows, it's not this fantabulous story of all these crazy things that happened to me. It's a story that everybody can relate to because most of us have been through these things. And I wanted a story that was relatable. Do you feel like that, uh, what you're sharing there about the, the story and, and um, letting it, I mean, my word, not yours, marinate a little bit longer do you feel like that's a reflection of your walk with God? I mean, is that, is that spiritual maturity there too? Cause it sounds a little bit like it might be connected. Well, yeah, I think that's just a, a picture of who I am sometimes with my relationship with God. Mm. I have to be, I have to be really open with him and say, God, you know, I'm a door kicker and I'm going to kick down doors. So close them really tightly. If I'm not supposed to walk through it. Amen. Um, Amen. That'll preach to me every day of the week. So, and then I'm like, but God, you also know I'm a little dense. So open them really widely if I'm supposed to walk through them. Um, but I've always been the kind of person because for so long I was told all the things I couldn't do that I was going to go prove everybody wrong and do all of the things that I, that I, I want to do. And my wife has to tell me, Hey Daryl, how many of these things can you do at once? Cause you're good at all of these things. And your answer is all of them, babe. Of course. <laughs> I'm a little ADHD. I got to do all I got to do something, right? Um, but, but I think that's the good thing. Is she's a calming force in my life, too, is to say, hey, you know, dial it down. You can do all these, but take your time. And I wish I would have listened to her on the book just because that's kind of was her. She's mm. an English teacher, so she was helping me edit it. And I was rushing her. And finally, she said, here, just take it back. You know, she was like, uh, don't rush me. Or you're not going to have a good edit. And so I was just like, all right, you know, and so then I went and had it published, you know. And so I think that's, I should have listened to her in that regard. Spiritual discernment is her gift, number one. Number two, she's just a really smart lady. Um, but yeah, I think that's just part of my journey with God has been trying to kick down doors he didn't have for me and uh, needing really clear flashing lights for to walk through doors that he did have for me. And for whatever reason, He's always been very clear when I had to transition because of that. So you, you've transitioned a couple times since 2011, it looks like. And how would you describe what you're doing now? I mean, how would you describe uh, uh, your, uh, your call or what God, the path that God has you on? If I were to say, Daryl, what, what are you doing right now? Confusing. 
I mean, I actually sat down with the lead pastor of my church a few weeks ago and said, man, I'm just confused. Like I said, I still have a passion for vocational ministry. I still have a passion. I'm, I'm at the same church that I spent my last five years in vocational ministry serving at. So we're still in that body, still watching what God's doing. And I'm like, I'm still passionate about Cross Timbers Church. Um, I'm still involved with so many different things, but there's like, there's this part of me that wants to be on staff, but then I look at the, the listing of jobs and they're all interns and I've been there and done that about 20 years ago. So, <laughs> and I was like, I just don't know what I'm doing. And he just looked at me. He's like, man, it sounds like God's letting you do everything that you're passionate about right now. He goes, I don't know. I'd love to have you back on my staff, but why would you want to all the constraints of the staff when God's already allowing you to speak at other churches and at our church, he's, he's allowing you to, to mentor all these young guys. He's allowing you to mentor people outside. And I was just like, you know, like, it does, uh, you know, and so it's confusing at times because I still have passion for ministry. I wasn't mad burnout or like mad at my church or ready to go. It just, it was a split second thing that happened over four weeks where I was out of ministry. And, uh, and I, and I hadn't looked back until about two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago and just had to re-clarify where I was. That's super interesting. And I really appreciate your vulnerability and honesty on it. Um, and uh, you know, confusion is one of those things that happens to a lot of us. If you were going to give some wisdom on what to do in the midst of your confusion, like, do, do you have a game plan or, uh, how, how do you recommend that people deal with confusion when it comes to their relationship with God? The big thing is that prayer that I mentioned earlier. I, I mean, I am a faithful prayer of that because mm. again, I know that I tend to run ahead sometimes and lag behind sometimes. And so I do pray that very consistently. God open doors widely that I need to walk through, close them tightly that I don't need to walk through. And uh, I was praying that throughout even that conversation. I had the conversation with my real estate boss and I had the conversation with my pastor. And when I left the real estate boss's office, I'm like, man, I feel really good about staying here at the office. But what if I go and sit down with my pastor and he's like, yeah, come on back. And then I was like, then what am I going to do? But right. I feel like because I was faithful to pray that, <clears throat> close that door where my pastor says, I love you. You're great. Like, but God's letting you do what you need to do. From what I can discern, you need to stay right where you're at. And it was just this confirming message that all flowed together because I was open to what God was saying, even though probably in my mind, I wanted to go back. Um, and so I've had that experience a couple different times enough to know that um, that I need to be faithful to pray during those moments. And I need to be faithful to seek out counsel that's wise. Not just my buddy that's going to tell me that I'm awesome, but someone who is willing, like my pastor was, to say, hey, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, why are you, why are you chasing things when God has given you all of this? And so we need people in our lives that can tell us the truth, um, but wise truth. Um, and so I think seek wise counsel, pray. And make sure you're connected to God because you make really bad choices unconnected to God, or at least oh. I do. Oh, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. No, I, I love that. Faithful prayer, faithful mentors, stay connected to to God, and and I think that that's an incredible, I think that's incredible list. So you know we're we're recording this. It's uh, it's early January. Um, you know you've you've kind of just confirmed that you're 
a little confused, but God still got you on a path. What does 2020 look like for you? Are you, are you a, a guy that's going to go out and set out a bunch of smart goals or resolutions or what, what does that look like for you? I'm definitely a person, especially on the real estate sales side that sets out smart goals and goals of that nature. But as far as like the path of my life, I do know 100% that this year is going to be spent without me in vocational ministry now. Just some of that clarity has been really open. But some of the things I do want to invest my ministry hard in is to continue to mentor these six, seven guys that God has put in my path uh, to, to work with and to, to build into. A um, couple of them are on our staff at church. We have a really cool program at our church named after a missionary that was a pastor that was in uh, Uganda called the Pastor Dongo School of Ministry. Mm. And uh, we have interns that come through that program three times a year. And so I've been given the blessing of every single time a class comes in, they give me at least one, if not two, of those students to mentor. And so my list of mentoring is growing, which is awesome. <laughs> I don't have to go find them. You know, right. they're just good to me. And, and I'm sure at the church they're prayed over and they're like, okay, do we really want to trust Daryl with this guy? But um, I, I don't know if I get the bottom of the barrel or the good ones. I'm not sure, but I love all, all six or seven of them that I have right now. And, um, and so, you know, I think it's going to be a lot of mentoring. I plan on writing my third book, um, Flushing Fear. And it's based on a story of when I was rolling into a restaurant, I kicked a lady and I hid in the bathroom. No, oh, man. And I was hiding in the stall because I thought she was going to destroy me. And there's a lot of times when we are, we are rolling through life and we, we're trying to achieve something. We're trying to hit our goals or trying to, you know, trying to get on our, in the right relationship with God that we hit an obstacle. And then we begin to hide in fear and we begin to, to hide in the stall and wait for that, that to go away. And then we miss our opportunity. And so I just want to challenge people to stop hiding, you know. If you, if you have a dream, if God's put something on your heart to chase it and not to allow those derailments or those, those roadblocks to get in the way of that. And so that's what the book will be about, Flushing Fear. Yeah, uh, when's that coming out? Uh, don't know, but I'm, just, I'm telling a lot of you guys here on podcasts, so I'll, I'll make sure that I have to get it out. <laughs> and there's nothing like public accountability. Exactly, but I'm working on it right now. Uh, I, got, I got chapter titles, and I got some of the, the guidance of those chapters, but um, there's no book yet, to, to be honest. Uh, but the idea is there, and all the chapters are there, and the chapter summaries are there, and now it's just time to write. Now it's just the hard, tedious, long, not fun part. Yeah. I, I mean, I enjoy writing and I don't. Um, right. It, it's a labor of love, right? Yes, exactly. And then uh, as you are doing right now, I mean, I plan to launch a podcast called Outside the Stalls as well to try to tie in all the messages and to just it to be about stories. Kind of what you're doing here with me is to, to share the stories of people who are living outside the stalls, who have been through things that have caused them to to maybe retreat or get road, you know, get uh, distracted or to fall off the road and knowing that the work, the Christian messages and when we fall off, we got to get back up that God's welcoming us back. And so I just want to share some of those stories because I think we learn a lot through the stories of others. And so that's what outside the stalls will be. is just a podcast that's about stories of people who have overcome fear and accomplished some, some pretty cool stuff, whether it be in the Christian realm or in the business realm. Time yeah, well, why do you think that right now is is the time to share the message? Because I feel like I'm hearing this in a lot of different places to overcome fear. Because I think so many people allow that to cripple them. Um, mm. 
And I hear that everywhere I go, just like people that they really have a dream to do this, but they're doing that because fear hasn't allowed them to step out. Um, and I think we all have opportunities just to curl up in a ball and give up, you know, that every one of us has bumps in our story or times where we tripped and fell or times when something was stolen from us or we experienced loss or we experienced someone who tells us that we're not good enough or, you know, we all have these things that have been thrown at us, you know, rightfully or unrightfully. And we all have the opportunity though to get up and to keep going. And I just want to be a, a message of hope to say, Hey man, I've, I've tripped a lot of times and I'm going to keep tripping, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to let that keep me from doing what God wants me to do, no matter what that looks like. And I just, I, I want to be an example of that. And I feel like if I put myself out there more then I'm going to have to be an example of that. Again, it's that accountability you spoke of. Like, yeah, I need that. I, so, I need a, I need a little public, uh, I need a little public, check every now and then yeah yeah i i agree some of the best ways for me to make sure i'm going to do something is for me to preach about it yeah absolutely you learn <laughs> i mean the things that you're learning are the best things for you to preach about <laughs> right <laughs> every once in a while i'm like hey guys uh this sermon well it's really for me but i hope somebody else enjoys it <laughs> but that's the humility that your people need and so i'll just challenge you to keep doing that yeah when i hear it. my pastor that's what i love about it. his name's toby toby Slough. He deals with anxiety and depression and he's been so open with that and i think it it's changed the landscape of our church because he is such a vulnerable but yet strong man of god um and so just keep doing that man i just encourage you like i i, well, I, I, I set up on your story and watch the video of the transition y'all made at your church yeah god's done some lot, a lot of cool really stuff cool. yeah really cool man i think you're doing some cool stuff over there and so well, it's, it's all God. I just get to show up sometimes. <laughs> uh, so I, I do have one more question for you, but before we do that, I know that my listeners are going to want to find you on the interwebs. Where, uh, where can they find you? Uh, where can they poke you about this new book coming out? All the, all the things. Where can they hold me accountable? Yes. Uh, I have, I do have a website. It's more of a blog, but it allows you to like, interact. yeah, the bald man chronicles, right? Yeah, absolutely. Love bald it. Man. I loved it. So, uh, so every once in a while I will blog on there, but the main purpose is to have links for all the things that I'm doing. So if you want to learn about speaking, uh, or you want to learn about the schedule, where I'm speaking, book me to speak, all that is at www.darrellhalk and it's D-A-R-R-E-L-L-H-A-L-K.com. Um, and so you can link to me almost anything that I'm doing, you can link to at that page. Oh, it's awesome. And we'll link to that in the show notes for sure. Uh, and I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you, you name it. I'm, I'm there. I'm the only one with the spelling of my name. So oh, too hard to find. That's uh, nice. I love it. And I'm not the bird hawk, you know, I'm H-A-L-K, like walk, talk, chalk. So um, it's, it's easy to find me. So just look me up. I don't mind random friends. Um, it's another opportunity to tell our stories to one another. So amen. Good. Amen. I love that. Okay. Last question. Um, I love to ask people is if you could go back, let's go back to freshman year, right? Freshman year, you, uh, you made the basketball team, you get hurt and you're, you're in that season of, uh, your life is getting ready to drastically change. If you were going to give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? 
I think number one, I wish I would have still kept playing baseball too, but that's just that's how <laughs> uh, diversify your portfolio. <laughs> your portfolio. Actually, it's funny that we say that, but I'm doing that to my daughter right now. She's a freshman. Softball is her main sport, but I'm yeah. continue to play tennis because I'm like, until you make varsity on one of these, you got to diversify. Diversify, home, right? Live, you know, living out of my hurt. So, um, but I would say basically, I would tell myself number one to keep to keep focused on Christ because I think, you know, it was it was a year and a half later that I lost, you know, basketball. It was a year and a half later that I lost my prime mentor. Um, and both of those things pulled my focus from who I was. If you mm. would have asked people freshman year what they would call me, they would have called me the reverend. They would have called me the goody two shoes. You know, I was that guy. And then I let those two things really take me on a journey that I didn't want to go on um, initially and, and down some roads. And that's what no one really knows, talks about kind of those, some of those journeys that I took away from the Lord and then realizing my identity in him and coming back. And so I would just tell myself to stay focused on the right things because I allowed two things, two derailments to pull me off. And again, that's why that's my message so strongly to people now is because that was me then. And I just don't want to see people do that the way that I did. I love that. I love that. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, thank you for, for the gift of your vulnerability and your transparency and your writing and your humor. And it's, it's all there. So everybody, I would just tell you, go check out Daryl's blog and uh, we can all subscribe to his podcast once that gets up and running. And I think that you're going to find a tremendous gift in his ability to tell stories, make us laugh and be incredibly relatable along the way. So Daryl, thanks again. I really do appreciate the time. Tony, man, I appreciate you letting me be on here. Thanks a lot. I know that you love this conversation with Daryl as much as I did. I really appreciate uh, the way he helps people overcome some of those mental barriers that we all face in life. And I know that you've been where I've been and, and that together we can do something different if we can embrace some of this methodology and thought process that Daryl is giving us. So uh, do me a favor, go follow Daryl on all the social media channels. We'll link to it in the show notes. You can also uh, hit him up on Instagram and Facebook and it's just good stuff. So uh, yeah, if you've got any questions, let me know. You can find me almost everywhere on the internet. On Facebook, The Reclamation Podcast with Tony Miltenberger. On Instagram at TWMilt. My website, TWMilt.com, where you can sign up for uh, weekly emails letting you know that the podcast has dropped. That way you're for sure never to miss an episode. Rate and review this podcast anywhere that you listen. As always, our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life.